Well, here's what I want you to do and why. I want you to take these pills and change your diet so you can lower your blood pressure and reduce your cholesterol. I want you to sort out these forms and deliver this package so that we can get the job done on time. I want you to study for your exams so you can go to uni after year 12. I want you to talk to people about Christ so that they might turn to him for forgiveness. I want you to get to church earlier so that you can welcome newcomers. I want you to commit to a Bible study group so you can encourage each other uh, week in, week out to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus. Here's what I want you to do and why. That's the structure of 1 Timothy. Turn to chapter 3, please. Chapter 3 and verse 14. Because here Paul tells us why he wrote the entire letter. And it's basically a case of, here's what I want you to do and why. See if you can pick up both. Chapter 3 and verse 14. Verse 14. Chapter 3. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed... You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, pillar and foundation of the truth. Did you catch what Paul wants us to do and why? It's there in verse 15. Have a look. What does Paul want us to do? He wants us to know how to conduct ourselves. And why? Because we're a pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, us being a pillar and foundation of the truth is really the backbone of the entire letter of 1 Timothy. Everything else in the letter is fleshing out how we do that. So we really need to nut this pillar and foundation stuff out first. So have a look, end of verse 15 again. God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, the first thing to say about that is, I reckon it seems backwards. It seems backwards. I'd expect the truth to be the pillar and foundation of the church, not the other way around. Because God's truth, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that doesn't need supporting, it doesn't need foundations. The gospel's our foundation. God's truth is what holds us up. And of course that's true. The gospel doesn't need me to defend it or support it. And yet Paul writes here that a church is a pillar and foundation of the truth. And it's the imagery of holding the truth up. We are a pillar of the truth. And as Paul says in verse 15, he's written 1 Timothy so that we'll know how to conduct ourselves as a pillar of the truth. The rest of the letter spells out what it means for us. And what we'll discover is that we hold the truth up like a pillar. We hold the truth up by declaring the truth. And we hold the truth up by living according to the truth. We're a pillar of the truth. We hold it up by telling it to people and by living by it. It's a bit like me trying to convince you to become a member of a gym. Uh, And so I hold up to you the merits of the gym. I tell you about it, what's involved, what costs there are, etc. And assuming that I'm at least getting you a little bit interested, I, I then invite you to come along and to see what it's like. But when we get there, we walk in the front doors and we're welcomed by a rabble. Uh, There's people arguing and shouting. There's fights over whose turn it is to use the equipment. And there's no way you want to be a part of this gym because its members aren't holding the gym up as a good place to be. Well, that's the opposite of what we're to be like here in 1 Timothy. Paul's point is that we are to hold the truth up, not just by telling it to people, but by our behaviour as well. We support the truth. We're a pillar of the truth. 
as we hold it up to people in word and in deed. Now, if chapter 3 and verse 15, being a pillar of the truth, is the backbone of 1 Timothy, well, then the three trustworthy sayings are the flesh on the bones. Three times in 1 Timothy, Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying, and twice he adds, that deserves full acceptance. These three trustworthy sayings break up the letter into its three sections. They summarise the three main things that Paul has to say about us holding up the truth. And what we're going to be doing in the three weeks of our series is having a look at each one. So as we begin to look at the first of the ways this morning, a good place for us to start is with the first trustworthy saying. So turn back to, uh, to chapter two, sorry, chapter 1 and verse 12, up to point 2 in your outline. And what we're going to discover is that for us to hold the truth up, we need to come to terms with the fact that God saves sinners. God can save anyone. Chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul here uh, recalls uh, his life before coming to Christ, he was, and he was wicked. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. We, we read in the book of Acts of Paul's extreme hatred of Christ and Christians. Paul self-consciously set himself against the Lord Jesus, tried to wipe his people out. If there was ever anyone opposed to the people of God and, he, and uh, to God himself and to Jesus, it was Paul. And yet God saved even him. Verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul's the worst of sinners. And so Christ saved him to show that he can save anyone, any sinner you point to. And we've got a room full of them here. Any sinner at all, Christ can save them. He can save anyone because he came into this world to save sinners and he's already saved the worst. But it's not just that he came back then to save sinners. It's also what he's doing now. Christ's still at work in this world, saving sinners. I came to Dubbo in 2005 to serve with DPC. But it's not just that back in 2005 I came to serve with DPC. I'm still gladly serving with DPC. What I came back for in 2005 is what I'm still doing. Same with Jesus. He came for sinners back in the first century And it's still what he's doing. Today, Christ is still at work in this world, saving sinners. What Paul's teaching us here is that God, he's an outward-looking God. And by that, I simply mean he works for the sake of others. He's in the business of saving people. God looks outside of himself and works for the salvation of sinners. He's an outward-looking God. And as a pillar of the truth... We're to promote God's work. We're to hold up this truth to the world. 
that they might be saved. Just as Christ came into the world to save sinners, where to go out into the world holding up that truth? Now, the reason Paul's hammering away at this is because the church in Ephesus had forgotten it. They'd become an inward-looking church, not concerned with the salvation of sinners. And so Paul's writing to Timothy to get him to turn them around. So come back to chapter 1 and verse 3, and we'll see something of the mess of the Ephesian church uh, at the time and see if he can pick up how they'd become an inward-looking church only concerned with themselves. So chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Do you see what the troublemakers are doing? They're teaching false doctrines. They're devoted to myths. They've wandered away from the sincere faith, turned to meaningless talk. And to top it all off, they don't even know what they're talking about when it comes to their beloved topic of the law. Basically, they're a bunch of self-righteous, argumentative so-and-sos who stir up trouble for everyone else with controversy and meaningless talk. But did you notice the particular danger of this group? It's there at the end of verse 4. Have a look. They're promoting controversies rather than God's work. Instead of the church promoting the work of God, holding up the truth that God can save anyone, telling the world that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, instead of promoting God's work, these church leaders are promoting controversies, engaging in meaningless talk, devoting themselves to myths, arguments for argument's sake. All they're worried about is themselves, and they've successfully derailed the church from being a pillar of the truth. They've turned the Ephesian church into an inward-looking church, a squabbling mess with no concern for sinners, not promoting God's work of salvation, completely distracted from the work of holding up the truth to the world. Like town councillors, always arguing over job allowances instead of actually helping the council to do its job. The Ephesian church was in a state of disarray, they're a pillar of the truth, meant to be holding up the truth to the world, telling them that Christ came for sinners, but instead they've been distracted from the task. And we need to make sure we don't make the same mistake. We need to be wary of people who always want to argue. We need to be wary of people who want to drag our attention away from holding up the truth to the world. Now here at DPC, uh, we might not be having arguments and controversies over meaningless talk and myths, but what could distract us from being a pillar of the truth? What could turn us into an inward-looking church? What might cause us to be distracted from promoting God's work of salvation to the world? Well, a classic for lots of churches has been how they do music. Churches have huge arguments about choirs and number of musicians and how loud or soft the music should be and grumbling and complaining and, and it can go on and on and it becomes this huge stumbling block that a church has to get over before it can seriously get on with being a pillar of the truth. Now, I'm not saying music is unhelpful or unimportant or anything like that, but wouldn't it be terrible 
if our music distracted us from telling the world about Jesus. Our desire to be cared for can do the same. Focusing on my needs, being met, well, that's a quick way to become inward-looking. Now, look, I know it's important for people to be looked after in a church family. Paul's going to spend the bulk of chapter 5 spelling out how important it is, but we need to remember that church isn't about us. Church isn't about getting your needs met. Church isn't about me. Church isn't about you. Church is about God, his glory, and about us being a pillar of his truth. Now let me say again, it is important that we care for one another well, and we want to do it better, but we just want to be careful that we don't get fixated on getting our needs met as if that's what church is about, and so complaining and bickering when it doesn't happen because we could find ourselves being an inward-looking, needs-meeting, selfish church. Laziness will also distract us from holding up the truth. Being outward-looking, telling the gospel to people, that takes time and energy and commitment. It'll mean taking the time to actually know the truth so that you can hold it out to people. It'll mean investing in the lives of people outside of church. It'll mean taking risks with friendships by talking about real things with people, life, death, tragedy, how you feel, what a difference knowing Jesus makes to your life, and it'll mean a whole lot more. Holding out the truth, that's costly, risky, time-consuming. And maybe it's easy to distract us from holding out the truth to the world because we're lazy. It's easier just to busy ourselves with the things of church. And if this becomes our culture, well, we'll become a church that does nothing for the unbeliever. We won't hold out the truth to them and we'll fail. We'll fall well short of the grand purposes and plans that God has for us as his people. No, we're to be outward looking, promoting the work of God in saving sinners, holding up the truth to the world, which is what Paul goes on to spell out for us in chapter 2. So turn there with me, please. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Remember at the end of chapter 1, Paul, he's spelled out how Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There's the trustworthy saying, the summary of this section, uh, that Christ has already saved the worst of sinners. So since he can save uh, the worst, he can save anyone. And so we're to pray for everyone. We're to be promoting the work of God by our lives and by our prayers. Chapter 2, verse 1. I urge them. First of all, since God's an outward-looking God, since God can save anyone, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants people saved. So we pray that people will be saved. We pray that governments will allow gospel preaching. Since God's an outward-looking God who wants people to be saved, we pray outward-looking prayers for the salvation of sinners. Because God wants people to come to a knowledge of the truth, as a pillar of the truth, we hold it out to the people so that they might be saved. And what is that truth that we're holding up? Have a look, verse 5. Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator, be, mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. 
Only Christ Jesus can reconcile people to God. Only Christ Jesus can pay the ransom to set us free. Only Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There's no other way we can be saved. Not by being good, not by coming to church, not by a different religion, not by being religious at all, but because there's only one God and only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And he came into the world to save sinners. Paul's spelling out the heart of God here so that we would share his heart. He wants people saved. He's spelling out the truth of God because we're to hold it up, promoting God's work of salvation in Christ, holding up the truth to the world. And remember, Paul's writing all of this so that we'll know how to conduct ourselves as a pillar of the truth. But it could be that you're here this morning and you're unsure about your own salvation. You might be sitting there thinking, but I'm not even saved in the first place. And so we need to take a moment here, don't we, and to do what this passage is saying. I need to hold out the truth to you. Because perhaps you're someone who's put their trust in Christ, but you're still not sure if God's really saved you. Surely it can't be that simple. Am I really saved? Isn't there more than I need to do? Or maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you're too far gone. That God can't save you. Because your sins are too vile, or too gross, or too many. You don't deserve it, so God won't give it. You know Christ came for sinners, that he died to save people, but he's not enough for you. You're too far gone. God couldn't forgive you for what you've done. It's just not true. It's not true. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst, Paul says. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. That means that God can save Dennis Ferguson, the convicted pedophile being run out of government housing in Ryde. God can save the mum who loses her patience with her kids all the time. God can save the dad who exasperates his kids by demanding too much of them. God can save the son or the daughter who disobeys their parents. He can save the guy who watches porn he can save the girl who doesn't pull her weight in the flatmate, in the flat with her housemates. God can save the person with hang-ups, insecurities, bad habits, thoughts of self-loathing, those with addictions. All who believe on Jesus receive eternal life. Don't leave here this morning without putting your trust in Jesus, believing on him. He can save you. He can save anyone. And when we truly believe this as a church, we'll be eager to hold up the truth. We'll take our stand as a pillar of the truth and we'll hold it up to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. And how do we do that today? Well, there's any number of ways. It's time to get creative and courageous. For example, as many of you did, uh, get on board with things like Life Matters. 
What a thrill we've had as a church family holding out God's truth and watching God save people, save William right there. So when we organise things to help us all hold out the truth, uh, grab those opportunities with both hands. Jump on board, get involved, pray, invite people, support. But look, we don't need church to organise things for us. Why not invite your neighbours or your workmates or your friends into your home and find out about them? What their dreams are, what their worries are. Do things for them, love them, share your life with them. And so share the truth with them. And while we're thinking of things like this, how good is it to be in a church where our elders are considering what to do next in terms of church planning? That we've got a group of elders prayerfully thinking through how we can best hold out the truth to the people of Dubbo. That's a blessing, isn't it? And look, whatever happens, whatever changes may or may not come about, wherever you find yourself in the future mix of DPC, find yourself there because you can be committed to holding out the truth with that church family. Because that's what God calls on us to do. God wants all people to be saved. Do you? It's a silly question, isn't it? Because of course you do. If you're a Christian, then you have the Spirit of God living within you. He has made you his home. And he wants all people to be saved, so so do you. Deep down, so do you. Strip away all your sinfulness and all your selfishness, all my sinfulness, all my selfishness. We'd meet the real you. Because God's given you a new heart. He's made you a new person. So if you've been listening to all this talk of holding out the truth and you've just kept brushing it aside as something you don't have to really worry about, it's time for you to strip away your old sinful ways of thinking. It's time for you to reclaim your heart, to wake up again to what God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he's poured out his Holy Spirit upon you because God hasn't made you a part of his household. He hasn't made his home with you. He hasn't brought you into the church of the living God. He hasn't declared you to be a pillar of his truth for you to roll over and hope someone else holds up the truth. We need to put to death our sinful natures, crucify our lazy, selfish selves. We need to reclaim our hearts and devote them again to the Lord, truly believing that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Truly believing that God wants all people to be saved. He's made us a pillar of his truth. And so as surely as Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, we go into the world holding up that truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for the government of our land. For the governments in Australia, we ask that you would uh, use them to protect the preaching of your gospel. That we could live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and holiness to hold up the truth that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Please protect that freedom in this country. Use our governments for your purposes, we pray. And Father, we ask for ourselves that you would stir our hearts with the truth that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, that he can save anyone, 
Give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage to hold up your truth. Thank you for the privilege and for the honour that you have made us your people, your household, a pillar of your truth. Father, thrill us, excite us, help us to be what you have created us to be for the sake of the glory of your Son. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing one final song that reminds us of two things. One, the glory of the gospel, that Christ came for sinners. And two, that we might not be ashamed, but instead hold it up to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. And then when we finish the song, we'll share some morning tea. Hopefully you can stay for that. We'll stand and sing.